Celebration is a key part of life. Whether it's a birthday or a wedding anniversary, passing an exam, or it might be your first five kilometer run. I know many of us have done that even over this lockdown period. Or maybe it's enjoying your football team win the Champions League. Well done, Chelsea fans. I'm not bitter in the slightest. Whatever it is, moments of celebration bring joy and colour to life. And for those of us meeting in person, it's been good to celebrate babies and new life today. Uh, and it's been good to rejoice with parents who are, despite the tiredness and the frustrations, the broken nights and the endless pooey nappies, boy, do I remember those, I'm nearly out of there, who despite all of that are rejoicing at their little bundles of sweetness. And not only that, but next week we are celebrating again. And this time we will celebrate the joy of new spiritual life as many get baptised across all of our sites. It's wonderful to celebrate, isn't it? And it's been amazing, even over this lockdown, to see people creatively celebrating, even in the midst of a difficult situation, keeping spirits up. And now I remember very clearly that first moment when we clapped for our NHS workers. Do you remember that? And I remember going out to the door on a Thursday just before eight. We weren't quite sure what was going to happen. It was that nervy moment where you stood outside and you thought, are we going to be the only ones to clap? But then you hear the claps and then you join in. And over the weeks it grew, didn't it? And there were pots and pans and then it became musical instruments. And we even had one lunatic on our road who was blowing this trumpet wildly. And even we had fireworks. It was a sense of joy amidst a difficult situation and I loved it. I even remember celebrating our mum's 75th birthday on our driveway with bunting and cake and presents while she sat there on a camping chair in the middle of our drive wrapped up in the cold. Uh, it was quite a sight and even though it wasn't the ideal way to celebrate a landmark birthday, it is definitely one we won't forget in a hurry. It lifted our heads above the monotony. It brought joy. And so today, I want us to look at a different type of celebration, a heavenly one. So why don't we read together from Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 to 31. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind." Now, this is a wonderful passage of scripture, isn't it? Which speaks of the creation of the universe. And it appears that there's more than one person present in this scene. Verse 27, I was there when he set the heavens in place. So who is this I that is mentioned, who was there with God at the beginning? Well, the I that is being talked about, if you know anything about Proverbs, is wisdom. The first few chapters of Proverbs describe wisdom and what wisdom is like. And God's wisdom is not only described, but it is personified. It's a person. And when these verses would have been read in the early church, they would have understood the personification of wisdom 
to be Jesus. They would have seen wisdom as a figurative depiction of God the Son. And this is because other biblical texts identify Jesus as God's wisdom, such as 1 Corinthians 1.24, which says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what we see here in this passage is a beautiful description of God the Father and God the Son together at the dawn of time when the universe was created. The Holy Spirit would have been there also, as we see in Genesis chapter 1. And what we observe in the heart of God at this amazing moment of the creation of all things is what? Well, it's joy. It's joy. It wasn't Christian joy, in inverted commas. And by that, what I mean is that sometimes as Christians, we're very quick to differentiate and distinguish between joy and happiness. We kind of say happiness is the feeling you experience when things go well in your life and it goes up and down. But actually, joy is the constant um, kind of uh, internal, internal state of contentment that we have, no matter what the circumstances. And that is all well and good and all true. But this, that isn't what God is speaking about here when he talks about joy. There's a song that we used to sing in church, which says, uh, and when the world has seen the light, they will dance with joy like we're dancing now. And invariably, if you look across the congregation, everyone is standing still, stony-faced, not dancing at all. We're not talking about that. The joy that we see in this passage, if we understood the meaning behind the words, is that it was an enthusiastic, effusive, over-the-top, inexplicably great passion and zeal flowing from the heart of God. About what? Well, about being in God's presence. There's this sense in which God enjoys and rejoices in being in his own presence. The Trinity, if you like, in an eternal dance together of celebration. Verse 30, I was constantly by his side, rejoicing always in his presence. They're rejoicing about God's world. Verse 31, rejoicing in his whole, in his whole world. God rejoices in created matter, in mountains and waterfalls and planets and stars and earwigs and wasps. Why did God create wasps? Has anyone ever thought that? I've always wondered, why? what a good are wasps for but actually God celebrates and rejoices even over wasps and thirdly about people verse 31 delighting in mankind celebration and joy are at the heart of God, God joy is fundamental to who he is from eternity past to eternity future God has been and always will be the most joyful being in the universe and because that's who he is and because he wants us to reflect something of him in who we are, that's how he also wants us to be, full of joy. Now, the thing is, if you're here and you're a believer, or maybe you're not a believer, if we're really honest, we don't always and often believe what I've just said, that God is the most joyful being in the universe. We don't believe that he is truly joyful, or dare I say it, happy. It's like with God, it's all about obedience and rule keeping and being good and keeping him satisfied. God appears vengeful in the Old Testament, doesn't he? If we look at it, a deity with an anger management problem who seems to inexplicably have a personality change between testaments. But, and the happiness bit of life, well, that's almost not important. 
We get that elsewhere. It's almost as though happiness is a dirty word. It's almost as though sometimes Christians equate happiness with sinfulness. We're not almost supposed to be happy. We're supposed to just press on, onward Christian soldier, which is true. But if we miss the happiness part, it's such a shame. In Psalm 30, verse 5, we see the answer. It says, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And I think it's such a shame when we as Christians don't view God in that way, when we see him as an angry, omnipotent deity who's distant from us, who doesn't love us or rejoice over us. This isn't the heart of God. He wants us to know joy and happiness. So how do we get joy? Well, firstly, we get joy by understanding who God is and pursuing him. If God finds joy in his own presence, that's where we find joy. Our joy rests on his joy. If we think God is miserable and miserly, that's likely how we will be. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to pursue a God who is harsh and uncaring and distant. There's no desire in me to pursue someone like that. So the first thing we need to resolve in our hearts is that God is joyful, that what I've just said is true, that he's happy at the core of his being. The Christian writer and pastor Randy Alcorn says, the reason more Christians don't experience happiness and joy is that they don't believe God is himself happy and therefore they don't seek their happiness from him. Wow. Now, over the summer, well, uh, the, 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 the bit of summer that we had, the kind of few days that we had at the start, um, we enjoyed being in our garden. And what we did is we pulled out our swimming pool, I say swimming pool, paddling pool, um, and filled it with water using the hose. It takes about two hours to fill because it's so vast. And what I used to do is just sit there in the garden as it filled up and then watch my two youngest kids grab a bucket or a watering can, fill those up with water and then trek down this really long garden, which is what we have, and pour their water into the pool. And I thought it was quite sweet and lovely, but they took it seriously and they're sweating in the sun and trying their best to fill up the pool. And God spoke to me in that moment. And I just suddenly thought, wow, that is sometimes how we live our Christian life. We think it's about us bringing what we have to somehow add to God rather than enjoying God and and enjoying the swimming pool or the paddling pool or the fountain. God calls us to enjoy him. Psalm 16.10 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. It's as though we live our life perpetually like the middle part of the prodigal son story. You know the story, the son takes the father's inheritance and squanders it on wild living. Then he ends up in a pigsty eating pig food and thinking, my servants eat better than I do. Hang on, what am I doing here? I'm going to set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, this is the correct response. It's called repentance. I have sinned against you. I realise I've done wrong and it's put me in this state, in the dirt, among the pigs. God, I can't get myself out of here. I'm as good as dead without some intervention, without someone rescuing me. I am stuck. Would you get me out of here? 
please, maybe you'll have mercy enough to make me a servant. Now, the problem is that many of us get stuck here in our heads. We kind of think God is a reluctant God. Maybe if we come to him humbly, perhaps if we're really fortunate, he will have us back as a skivvy. We think about what God is like. We think, oh, he's angry, he's reluctant, he's unforgiving, he's distant, he's remote, he's uncaring, which leads us to spend our lives appeasing him, trying our hardest to earn his favour, but we don't experience him. And although repentance is the correct step, it isn't the only step. If we miss the next step, then we miss the essence of Christian faith. What is the next step? Well, it's to come to the Father. And thank God that though we sometimes live in Groundhog Day, going around that perpetual cycle of, of sinning and repenting and thinking, woe is me, and trying to make it better ourselves and then slipping into that cycle again and sinning again, thank God that the Son doesn't do that. That isn't what happens. Instead, the prodigal son takes the second step. He moves towards the father. He takes the risk. And what does he find? Well, he finds that the father rushes towards him, embraces him, puts a robe around him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and then has a huge feast and a party organised to celebrate, to rejoice in the fact that this son of his that was lost has now been found. And this is God's heart. He is not only a joyful God, but he rejoices over you. And that brings me to my second point. The second way we get joy is by realising that God delights in us. Verse 31 of our passage from Proverbs 8 says that at the point of creation, God was himself delighting in mankind. And this isn't the only place where we learn that God delights in us. There are many other examples through scripture and funnily enough, many of them are in the Old Testament where we talked about this kind of God with an anger management problem. But actually the truth is very different even in the Old Testament. Let me give you two examples. The first is from Isaiah 62 verse 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now, how many of you have attended a wedding recently? I don't think many of us actually have because of the lockdown. We haven't had weddings in the sense of gathering lots and lots of people. But when you had attended one in the past, can you remember the look on the groom's face as his bride walked up the aisle? How would you describe that look? Perhaps love, pride, wonder, delight, joy. I've never seen horror or disgust. Could you imagine that? Wow. It's pure joy and delight. I even went to a wedding many years ago of a South African friend of mine, not Brett, but someone else, who on seeing his bride jumped up and down like a loon at the front of the auditorium, literally like a Maasai Mara warrior, pogo sticking up and down across the auditorium with delight. It was a hilarious moment but it was profound as well. Imagine God looking at you that way or responding to you in that way. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. How about this one? Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. 
he will rejoice over you with singing. Just like the father in the story, God rejoices over us. Now I'm labouring the point because this is the point that I want to make today. When we get saved, we don't just get through by the skin of our teeth because he has pity on us. When we turn from our sin and move towards him, he doesn't simply rescue us from the quagmire of sin to be servants, holding an eternal grudge against us for the rest of eternity. But he takes us into his warm arms and he seats us with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 4-6 tells us, but because of his great love, what kind of love? Great, hear that word, great, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We don't just get lifted from the quagmire and left there, but he lifts us right up with him in heavenly places. It's amazing truth. And if we truly believed this, what would it do? Well, it would stop one of the biggest killers of joy, comparison right in its tracks. Because quite often that's what we do, don't we? We get, we get distracted from God. We look around at people around us. Oh, he's better than me. Oh, that job there, the job that I'm doing. Oh, they could do so much better than that. She's so much prettier than I am. We spend our lives comparing, don't we? We look on social media. We're scrolling through. We're seeing what people's lives look like and comparing them to ourselves. But if our li- we live our lives like that, we, we don't get joy. We lose joy. It stops us from getting joy. But if we truly grasp that God loves us and rejoices, voices over us, whatever our circumstances, however we look, whatever we do, then this is amazing and it helps us and it gives us strength and security and joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Comparison weakens us. Looking to God and seeing his joy um, that gives us, gives us joy and strengthens us. The third and final way we get joy as we look at our passage in Proverbs 8 is by regularly celebrating the small things. In verse 30, it says, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his world. So the third way in which we get joy is more practical. If God is filled with delight day after day, as he looks at what he's made, so should we delight regularly in what we see around us. This brings me back to what I was saying at the start. In difficult seasons like the one we've been experiencing over the last 18 months, what brings joy and colour into these moments are times of celebration, times when we purposely and proactively stop and thank God for what is good, even in a difficult situation. This is why when God established his people in the days of Exodus, he instigated regular feasts or festivals to make people stop reflect and celebrate. The act of celebrating, even when we do do not feel like it, brings joy. I was at someone's 60th birthday party the other day. Man, that makes me feel old. I'm not quite there myself, but I was at someone's 60th birthday and it was the first time that I'd been at a party for nearly two years and boy, did it fill me with joy. I couldn't stop smiling as I saw all the people I'd not seen for so long. I even had a little boogie with Sarah, my wife, 
Uh, now, apologies for those of you who saw that. I know it wasn't good, but, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And these moments of celebration are good, and God loves them. And this is also why Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with this first because it feels like I'm commanded to rejoice. But there is something about deliberately and intentionally taking time to celebrate the small things every day that helps us to know joy. We can be good at big celebrations, can't we? Birthdays and weddings, but not so great at the smaller moments of Thanksgiving. But I think it's these moments and recognising them that really gives us joy in life. Henri Nouwen, the great Christian writer, put it like this. Celebration is not only a part of special occasions, but an ongoing awareness that every moment is special and asks to be lifted up and recognised as a blessing from on high. In conclusion, someone put it very well when they defined celebration this way in one of the study Bibles. Celebration is the utter delight and joy in ourselves, our life, our world as a result of our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty and goodness. I really like this. We can find joy even in the most difficult situations because we know him, because we have experienced him and because we have found him to be the fountain of all joy. Most people seek happiness for happiness sake because of a lack as a means of escaping the harshness of life. We who know God can draw happiness from the world around us, not because of a lack, but because we know the one who created the pleasures we experience. When we know the one who made the stars, it enhances their beauty. When we know the one who gives talents to people to play sports or to act, it enhances the viewing pleasure. When we know the one who brings forth crops and orders the feasts, it enhances the eating. And when we know the one who hung on a cross and took the punishment we so richly deserved for our sin so that we can have life in him, it enhances the joy of loving and giving and spending ourselves for him and for the good of others. Friends, I need you to know this this morning. I want you to know this this morning, that joy is the difference between religion and true Christian faith. Because Christianity is about a relationship, not rules. It's about knowing that he rejoices over me. That's the whole point. We don't serve because we want to earn his favour. Rather, we enjoy his favour every day. And out of this flows a desire to please him. Let's enjoy the party, the feasts that our loving father has put on for us. And let us live our lives with that as the foundation of all that we do.